Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. I'm here with Jay Jones, and this is Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Yeah? Yeah. Enjoy that game? It was pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I had a good time. Did you think that? Did you think that uh, the Chiefs were going to lose? I did. Yeah, I thought they were going to pull it out. Yep, but they didn't. Did you see any uh, good commercials? Anything that you were like, "This is fantastic." Mm. <clears throat> Nothing really strikes me. I guess. I mean, they were entertaining ones, but. Nothing really blew my socks off. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the Baja Blast one was, I don't know that it was like groundbreaking, but I thought that's effective marketing. Which one was that? It's one of the more they kept saying we're having a blast. They were doing like random things and they were like, I'm having a blast too. And they had a Baja Blast in their hand. I may have missed that one. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, effective. Mm. So that one maybe. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Dunkin' Donuts one with uh, oh, Ben Affleck yeah. was, yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. I forgot about that one. Yeah. I didn't get it though. What's the name of the drink? They're naming a drink after us. What's I have the, no idea. Are they naming a drink or is it just oh, a I Dunkin' Donuts commercial? <laughs> I don't just a Dunkin' Donuts commercial? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I thought that one was pretty funny. Huh. Is, is Dunkin' Donuts like a Boston thing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Matt Damon definitely is showing some age in that. Yeah? Yeah. His old buddy. Yeah. Well, they're getting up there. Yeah. True. Hmm. Didn't see what happened afterward. Was there like a uh, Taylor Swift event on the field or I what? I have no idea. <clears throat> yeah, we left. Started driving home in the blizzard. I saw people were uh, t- were. Uh, telling her that she needs to get away from him quick after his uh, yelling at oh. <laughs> at the coach and pushing him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? Like he pushed the guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to see like the whole thing. <laughs> like the heat. I don't know. I mean, it seems like you. It seems like you wouldn't like scream in your coach's face. Yeah. I mean, that just seems like obvious yeah yeah that seems like something you wouldn't do but i don't know what they are like like behind the scenes or they they may have an ex- a relationship where they like yell at each other maybe it's already established yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. i have no clue yeah yeah they call him mr pfizer yeah <laughs> uh-huh. did you see the pfizer commercial are we yeah. gonna get banned from me for me saying Pfizer? Probably. Did you see the Pfizer commercial? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna take on cancer. Never, never forget. Yeah. It's all it's it's a good way to repair your image. <laughs> We're gonna take on cancer. We're, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had the uh he gets us commercials of course. that were uh pretty gay. Yeah, I didn't even see it. Um, I just saw, of course, the Twitter aftermath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were they were pretty bad. 
How many were there? There was two that I saw. A lot of money. Was that seventeen? A lot of money. Seventeen million. A lot of money. Seven million for a short commercial. Something like that. Something like that. That's. Where's that money coming from, Jay? My wife was looking it up, and she said that the their a uh, big donor is uh, Hobby Lobby. Huh. Okay. So, you you remember a couple of years ago that uh, Ed Stetzer tried to sneak it into the SBC? You remember that the he when, gets us stuff? when the yeah the SBC was uh, like partnering with them. Oh yeah, and then uh, yeah. who was it? Was it Tom Buck that exposed them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Bet you all the money in my bank account, Jay, that the SBC still gives money to them. <laughs> they, pro- they probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a show. The the annual meeting. There's it just there, continues there's on some. It, you know? There, I'm sure that there's some sneaky, sneaky money. I saw that the, I mean, the, even the description of the group that he gets this group uh-huh. talks about there's people in the group that aren't Christians. That's <laughs> odd. Yeah, that's odd. Huh. Yep. Okay. Well, the most important thing about uh, the Super Bowl being over is that we can focus on baseball now yeah Jay. So it's here baseball baseball is uh what uh two weeks two weeks before pitchers and catchers yeah something like that yeah, yeah. it's already started for college guys mm-hmm. so yeah you can go out and watch college baseball right now yep <clears throat> that's all that's important jay <laughs> that's all that's important well, uh, we are back in Romans. Um, I had to watch it on my phone yesterday. I wasn't yeah. feeling very you well. Weren't looking so. good. You weren't looking good either. Brick <clears throat> said you looked green in Sunday school. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. You were showing. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I tried to stay away from people. But uh, yeah, I, I uh, came to Sunday school and then then left. So yeah, had to had to listen on my phone. Did you watch it on? Did you watch it on the app? I watched it on the app. How'd it work? It was fine. Yeah, um, you, it's not really intuitive. Like you have to go to the calendar, mm. and and that's where the live uh, the live feed is. It's it's gotcha. not like on the main screen. Uh. so it's had to poke around a little bit to see where it was okay um but once i found it it popped right up yeah and it, it worked fine Ugh. um couldn't get it to work on my roku i was gonna watch it on my my tv but there's no um there was no place to to watch live hmm. so it was a little disappointing but yeah you were in uh, romans chapter one verses eight through fifteen yes Probably a passage that people don't really spend a lot of time on. They probably just read it and just move on. I mean, it's you've got sixteen and seventeen right there, and so people people really focus on verses sixteen and seventeen, mm-hmm. and probably not a whole lot on Paul's greetings. Right. Um, but you you brought out some things uh, in this text that <clears throat> help us to understand how we ought to live. Uh, Paul 
you mentioned you mentioned and it's good for yeah. us to i mean people are always saying well paul ain't jesus yeah like we don't have to we don't have to put we don't have to listen to paul like we would to jesus because he's not jesus right and you said of course <laughs> of course paul is at jesus <laughs> <laughs> right but that doesn't mean that we can't um emulate paul mm-hmm. I mean, paul even says follow me as i follow christ mm-hmm. so we can we can see from how paul is um writing to the romans we can see what he's like and yeah. we can we can try to imitate that uh-huh yeah that's the idea. You use the uh, opening illustration of the stethoscope. Uh huh. I didn't know they had a digital one. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Yeah, that was it. Was I went to this uh, VA appointment, which VA healthcare has gotten a lot better. Um, I almost feel bad for like the Vietnam veterans because they had to like be mistreated and have terrible healthcare, so that we can finally have some measure of. I mean, it's not like if you go to the mm-hmm. civilian doctor, really, unless right. they like outsource you for something, but just your regular appointment. But yeah, so I go in there and there's no doctor in there. And the nurse is like, this is a telemedicine visit. I'm like, okay. Like, okay, well, where's this lady at? <laughs> she's, like, she's in Oklahoma City. So screen pops up. She's on there. You know, they had already taken my blood. So she's doing all the readouts to me over the thing and, and then the lady's like, okay, it's time for her to listen to your heart and your lungs. And she pulls out a stethoscope, but it's digital. And it's like linked into the computer. Interesting. And so the lady put some headphones on. She got some headphones and she sat there like this, you know, with her eyes shut, you know, <laughs> and listened. Yeah. It was interesting. It yeah. is. Oh. Yeah. But you uh, you drew the contrast. You said, as a stethoscope listens to your heart, we uh-huh. can read these. We can read Paul's words, and we can get a kind of a window into his heart. Yeah. So that's the idea. Is yeah. um, we can uh, make make some observations and ask ourselves what it reveals to us about this man. Mm-hmm. So he's someone worth emulating or trying to imitate. As he really is kind of a, like a model Christian, you know. Not everyone is an apostle, but everyone is a follower of Christ. And so, the idea was: let's look at, let's make three observations about Paul, someone who's really been gripped by the gospel in their, in their life. Okay. All right. So that's uh, that's your your outline: three observations of a heart that's <laughs> gripped by the gospel. Yep. So let's uh, let's have you read it, and then we'll uh, we'll look at those three observations. Okay. Romans 1, beginning verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing you I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. All right. 
So three observations uh, that we see here in these verses. The first one is a heart given to invocation. And as soon as I heard you say that, I thought you're going to do an alliteration, aren't you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is an alliteration outline. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So what is an invocation? An invocation is just prayer. It's a prayer. Okay. Think of it as invoking you're invoking God for something. Mm-hmm. So, a, so a man it, of prayer. So, verse eight. He. This is a prayer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so he, his heart is given to prayer. That's, that's yeah. what Paul. I mean, this this is this is common for Paul mm-hmm. all throughout his letters. Oh he, yeah, he just breaks out into into random prayers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ten of the thirteen letters start like this mm. with this with a prayer similar to this. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is the way he begins. First, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, and so I think that that reveals to us someone who somebody who has been changed and transformed by the gospel. They before probably did not pray, um, but then now they find themselves thankful and people of prayer, that their their heart is given over to it naturally. So that's kind of this uh, this idea uh, that we see, first off, that we should observe the frequency at which he is doing it in all of his letters kind of shows us this is kind of, a, as his heart is inclined to this. Mm. So he's inclined to often be in prayer and to be thankful. Um, I think if someone who understands the gospel and what God has really done for them in Jesus Christ... Uh, becomes thankful. They become a thankful person. That's expressed in thanks and thanksgiving to God uh, for what God has done. You uh, you mentioned that you couldn't remember where it was, where prayer is uh, likened to breathing. Did you find the actual quote? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's J.C. Ryle. Okay, J.C. Ryle go. called prayer. J.C. Ryle. Yeah, yeah. You can. Uh, I I pulled it up. I googled it mm-hmm. really fast, but you can you can get these little uh, pamphlets. Yeah, he uh, he says um, all children of God on earth are alike in this respect. From the moment there is any life and reality about their religion, they pray. Just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing, so the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. And then this is the this is the famous uh, the famous quote. He says, "The first act of faith will be to speak to God. Faith is to the soul what life is to the body. Prayer is to faith what breath is to life. How a man can live and not breathe is past my comprehension, and how a man can believe and not pray is past my con- comprehension too." Mm. Yeah, it's good. It's a little short book, yeah, and it's a little. Probably just a little sermon. Yeah. Yeah, so he begins to pray, um, but I think also we should take notice of the personal nature, the personal nature of this prayer, my God. Mm. Um, That is, as I said, it's not like saying, you know, my president, like we can all say my president, because he's kind of our president, but it's something different in a personal sense, um, not that it, not that if as if you own the person, but more in the familial sense. And he's already called God um, our Father. Uh, 
in the beginning of this book. So taken into that context of our Father, my God, we see the this very personal aspect to the prayer that I think only belongs to Christians. And the reason we are able to pray like that is what he says next, uh, through Jesus Christ. So he is the medium or the mediator uh, by which we can approach God in this way, in this this very personal relational sense. Um, and I think we should we should never lose lose that uh, aspect that we have. We serve a Trinitarian God, and the only real way we have access to God is through the second person. First uh, Timothy two five says, "There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus." Um, and that that's how we go to God. Um, one time, I remember um, I had a friend who was a very devout Catholic, and so. I went with them. He's like, you should just come and observe, you know, what we do. So I went with them to observe their their like lunchtime their lunchtime mass. And he's like, yeah, he's my priest. He's awesome. You can ask him any questions you you have. And so I was like, okay, well, what question do I ask a, a priest who obviously don't agree with many things on? And I thought this was one that could maybe, of course, they have an answer to it. Uh, so I just ask, how is it that you say they're are other mediators between God and man, the priest, Mary, the other the saints. And then I quoted this verse to him, First uh, Timothy two five. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And um, you know, of course, they have their answers that come from tradition, not from the Bible, as to why this could be. But there you have it in black and white. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Paul's prayers, he's given over to prayer, but the way he prays is to his. God, who he knows intimately through a mediator, through Jesus Christ. And so I think we should take note of that, and and we ought to keep that always in our minds um, as we approach God. And we don't, in our own right, just because of who we are, get to approach God. But we can, we can obey Hebrews, which tells us to boldly approach God, the throne of grace, uh, because we stand in the righteousness of the second person, so that's kind of and that that helps us to understand the privilege that we have um, to pray. Mm-hmm. We often and we'll we'll get we'll get into this in the uh, in your third your third point, but um, we often we know that we are supposed to pray. And I and we still struggle. I mean, I I still struggle um, to pray because there's. I mean, you're just you're just surrounded by so many distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we can remember is that this is not just some lifeless duty that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll talk about this in the in the third point. But it's also it's a privilege. It's a privilege for us to pray. Um, we. Christ has died so that we can approach the throne of grace. Mm-hmm. Right. And the exclusive privilege that it is. Right. This is not, and it, obviously this would not be politically correct to say, but <clears throat> no one on earth just gets to go to God whenever they want or and offer their prayers as if God will listen to them. 
course, God hears everything because he's God. So, uh, but that but doesn't mean that you have a direct access to him. I think it's really pretty arrogant to think about the mind of, of someone who is not a Christian who thinks that they just have, because of right of being born <laughs> right. into the world, that they can just go to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, God is described in the Bible as so holy and his presence so like mighty and glorious that uh, beings that we would probably say in the spiritual realm, the greatest beings, so like archangel type seraphim, the top class, they can't even be in his presence without hiding themselves. So they have six wings and they hide their faces with two of them and they cover the rest of their body and they're down to their feet with the other two. Mm. And and we think that we can just go before him. Mm. He dwells in unapproachable, unapproachable light. light. Yeah. Um, but we do get to go to him uh, through through Jesus, the second person. He's our mediator. He takes us uh, to him. Mm-hmm. Gives us the right to go to him, and, and we don't even. And, and what's amazing is we don't really go to him as um, timid, scared people going before like some emperor despot. Mm-hmm. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. Mm-hmm. This is a very different yeah. dynamic now that's taking place. Yeah, right. So we can be thankful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not he's not just he's not just thankful in a personal way, but he's thankful on behalf of others. Right, yeah. So you can see, and he says it because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he's he's thankful uh, for other Christians, and, and these are even Christians he doesn't know personally. Uh, but the faith of the Romans is, and you shouldn't take this in a literal sense. Not every single person on planet Earth has heard of the faith of the Romans, and not even every person in the Roman Empire. But it's a way of saying, like, pretty much in the known world, which is the Roman world, that in a lot of the places that Paul has gone, they already they know about the faith of the Romans. That there is a collection of saints in the heart of the Roman Empire, which is really a, a remarkable to think about. That this could start with a group of blue collar nobodies in persecuted people mm. um, who are commanded not to tell this message of the gospel in Jerusalem, and now it's spread from Jerusalem all the way to the Roman Empire, and there are Christians there. Likely because there were Romans there during Pentecost. That's that's probably what happened. There were citizens from Rome there. They heard the gospel at the day of Pentecost, and they took that back to Rome. Uh, though we can't be can't be certain that that is how it happened, but nevertheless, it has happened. And as far as we know, at this point, no apostle has gone to Rome yet. So yeah, it's very interesting to mm-hmm. think about. And right. and so he's just he's thankful for these. For these Christians, and, that, and this marks Paul's prayer in most of his letters: Colossians, Philippians, Thessalonians, Timothy. He's thankful for, and he tells them, "I pray, and I am continually thankful for you mm-hmm. and your fa- your faith." Yeah. Um, and I think that that is uh, encouraging, and we can identify that uh, to a degree. You know, we had Dennis Gunderson came in and he gave that presentation to our church, and. Um, there are Christians. We saw Christians on screen of this previously unreached people group uh, as early as like the 1950s. They had no one had ever taken the gospel there, and now there are 
many churches there, small churches. These people live a very humble life. They live in like what we would call shacks. Right. With no running water or electricity. And yet they're gathering together in these different churches in these small villages and and they're they're Christians. Like they're our brothers and sisters. And so when you see that, when you see those presentations, you can't help but be thankful. Like that God, you know, it it, it almost it, it's amazing to think about how I don't want people to like struggle with this, but how insignificant like our individual lives and ministries are in God's grand scheme of things he's doing in the world. Like God is taking his gospel all of these places and we didn't do it. And like Paul, he didn't plant this church. Mm-hmm. But yet we see how thankful he is that there there are Christians there. Right. And there's a strange bond there that I think is captured very eloquently in a in a small sentence by John Murray and in his commentary on Romans he says the bond of christian fellowship is not limited to the circle described by personal acquaintance and that's that hits it right there yeah the bond of christian fellowship it transcends people or christians that you personally know and yet you still have this bond mm-hmm. with them and so there's the prayer of thanksgiving that he that he offers continually on their behalf yeah. uh, for their faith. Yeah. So there's uh, there's Thanksgiving, but there's also supplication mm-hmm. or uh, making a request to right. God. So there, there's there's different elements to this life of prayer. Right. So now he begins to ask God. He's asking God for something when he's really telling the Romans what he prays when he prays for them. Um he calls God as a witness so that they know. I, Paul's not just, you know, he's not just uh, flattering us here. Like he's, he hasn't come here. Maybe they had heard that, hey, Paul, wait till Paul comes. He'll be, really be encouraged. And he wants them to know that he does and he has wanted to come and he has been praying continually without ceasing every time he mentions them, asking that somehow by God's will he will finally come to Rome. So that's his prayer that he's asking. He's continually asking, uh, and so far, hasn't happened yet. Right. So, but that's still, nevertheless, his request. Mm-hmm. Um, the frequency of his prayer, I think, is something to take note of too. It's as if he's—it's continually something that's before him. Right. Yeah. It's. A, I mean, his heart is pouring out in prayer. Mm-hmm. And it, it, but he also wants to be conformed to the will of God. He's he's understanding right. that uh, God's not a genie, right? He, you know, he doesn't get just wishes mm-hmm. granted by God, right? And God's not. Um, I, I think it's this is also uh, contrary to the way that like word of faith people will talk about prayer. Like it's not it's not just if you are uh, right. sowing a seed, uh-huh. God will God will do this. Uh, Paul, don't don't you know that if you just tithe, that God will yeah, or will bless you and and you can get what you want. Or if you declare it, if you declare it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I had um, a young young couple church members. They came up and asked me about this very thing. They said, you know. We know people who are really into this declaring mm. like stuff. What's this about? Um, they'll declare things like over their children, over their house, mm. like you know, mm-hmm. 
declare away like the bad spirits or whatever, or right. declare like blessing and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I said, well, you know, I can only speculate, but um, the declaring stuff is really, I think, an American invention. Mm-hmm. And I think my think is my thinking is that it came into Americanized, uh, we'll say, shallow Christianity through Eastern religions, which have this component of um, the power of positive thinking. You can manifest reality for yourself by your mind, and even that words have power. So there's there's really that, and then it's it kind of reeks of old school paganism, honestly. You know, yeah, like the pagans <clears throat> believed. Even the, in the Roman world at this time, you could go to, uh, you wanted to invoke, uh, who knows, what do, what do you want? Maybe you want a baby. Mm-hmm. Who, who do you go see for that? Um, Artemis of the Ephesians, maybe. Um, and so you go there, and the priest can open a scroll up like this and hold it in front of your face. And if you say all of the words, it'd be a long thing for you to say, by the way, many words. Mm-hmm. But if you say all of the words correctly, then the deity is obligated now to uh, to grant your wish. Mm. So you're declaring you know, the your words have carry power to invoke what you want to manifest in reality. And of course that type of stuff has gone on all throughout paganism. But you can and pretty much what I said it was like look just read through the New Testament. You'll never get a whiff of it. You'll never even get a hint that we've been given the authority to declare things for ourselves. Mm. Right. Even if you want to say, I declare under the authority of someone who belongs to Jesus that we don't see that. Otherwise, wouldn't we see Paul like speaking like this in all of his prayers? Right. But it, he doesn't. He just right. says he has continually been praying and making his this request to God. And so far, it's not been it's not been granted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't be don't be pulled into the sick uh form of American Christianity that mixes in paganistic ideas. Well, even in the the Roman Catholic Church, you've got some of this yeah. with uh, the rosary, mm. praying through the Lord's Prayer right. with the beads. <sighs> um, you know, you go to confession, the, the priest tells you, say this many Our Fathers, this many Hail Marys. Yeah, and then, you're, then you'll be absolved. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's simply not the way that we are called to pray. We pray to our Father, mm-hmm. our God, mm-hmm. through Jesus, through what He's done for us, um, and according to His will. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, this is a reminder that we that Paul has a heart for for prayer. He has a heart for invocation. Yeah. Uh, and we ought to also. Yes. It also ought to be part of of us. Mm-hmm. It should be like breathing. Right. Right. All right. But the second one uh, is a heart of holy ambitions. Mm. Heart of holy ambitions. And I know you were, uh, you, were, <clears throat> you were wondering whether you should use this word or not. Yeah. I almost didn't use the word ambition because I think <clears throat> culturally, just where we are and the way our language is used here... It carries kind of a negative thing. Like the first thing I think of when I think of ambition is like a politician. Mm. Um, well, we um, we I, I tutor some kids and we read 
um, some Shakespeare plays. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the ideas that keeps popping up in these plays is ambition. Mm-hmm. So Julius Caesar, Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we got this line from Brutus. As Caesar loved me, I weep for him. As he was fortunate, I rejoice at it. As he was valiant, I honor him. But as he was ambitious, I slew him. Mm. So the the reason why Brutus says that he he assassinated Caesar is because he was ambitious. Mm. And I think that's how a lot of people hear that word. They yeah. hear it. it. It's just like Macbeth. Have you read Macbeth? You know the story of Macbeth? No. Oh, Jay. Haven't. Never have. Just lose a little bit of, if, of uh, the esteem that I have for you whenever you say things like that. Jay. Well, we did <laughs> some Shakespeare in high school, but there's a pretty good chance I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at all. Yeah, zero. Uh, well, Macbeth he uh, he assassinates the king, and it's because he's ambitious. Uh, he he wants to be the king. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that you're right. Like politicians are ambitious, yeah. so we hear that word ambition. And I think we immediately have a negative um, angle to it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be that, though. No. Yeah. Ambitions can be good and mm-hmm. right and noble. You know, we like to read and think about those, those missionaries who've taken the gospel. Uh, I had mentioned already uh, Patton. To the New Eberdees, and but you just think about like William Carey, like take the gospel to India. You're trying to break into a place that's never been. You don't know the language. Like that's a lofty ambition. Mm. But is it a good one? I would say I would argue yes. Uh, these there are good and right and holy ambitions that we can have um, as Christians, and it and it doesn't just have to be like. It, maybe you are called to be a, a, a missionary. Or maybe you are called to like to be a pastor. Those are good ambitions. But think about just like your regular everyday Christians, how many of them have started things in their towns like to take care of homeless people or to take care of orphans or you name it. I mean, that started somewhere. It it started as an idea, a goal, it started as an ambition that they had to then work toward uh, to see that come, in, come into reality. And I think we see that in Paul. Paul has an ambition. He's made it known that one of his ambitions, one of the things he's resolved and set his heart to do is to go to Rome. But I think you can also read through Acts and see that Paul's not just someone who's like flying by the seat of his pants, like going wherever the wind takes him. Right. He has a goal to, it would seem, if you look at his missionary journeys and where he goes, to go to influential cities in certain regions, either maybe they're cultural centers or political centers, and he's going to those places to plant churches. And then when that's done, he'll move on to the next one. So I think it's pretty safe to say, and we can see here of his intention to come to Rome, that he is a person that is has ambitions. He has driven by ambition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a good and right thing. Um, and it's something worth emulating yeah there's uh there's what paul calls selfish ambition mm-hmm. i think james uh says selfish ambition also in maybe james chapter four but there's also holy ambition mm-hmm. and it, it's uh it's easy to just kind of coast through the christian life just kind of like you said 
Yeah. Just go wherever the wind blows you. Yeah. And just kind of, um, I don't know, float through life with no aims and no goals. Uh-huh. Uh, but what Paul is showing us here is that Christians should have ambition. They should have some goals that they right. want to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, think about the way he talks about running a race. Mm-hmm. Um, I press on to make it my own, not that I've already made it my own. I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You couldn't say that's a man coasting through life. Right. Ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we easily can fall into that. Like maybe we get into a good spot in our life with work and family and even in church, and then we can just kind of set the cruise control and just cruise, mm-hmm. just cruise through life comfortably. Not to say that anything's wrong with seasons like that, but um, I think Christians ought to set some amb- some goals in their lives, you know, every everyday regular Christians. Yeah, one of those could be to read the Bible, the whole Bible. Yeah, you know, start. You got to start. Start there. That would be your most basic, I would think. First goal, ambition. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should have that goal. Um, there are a lot uh, you could think about. Um, reading books. I never really read books until I became a Christian. And then I started reading books. So, you know, maybe you're curious about some theology or something, and you know, grab you know two or three books. Make that your goal that year is that you're going to read these books and really digest that. I think a good ambition to have is to have someone in particular in mind to share the gospel with, um, and then you pray for that person. And if you keep that before yourself as a goal or a a good right ambition. You're probably going to do it. It'll probably happen. So maybe after that, you mean you maybe add another or set a number of people you'd like to share the gospel with in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think <clears throat> one that's a good one that younger generations really need to get. You know, there's a lot of dy- dynamics going on financially in the in America today that are kind of against younger generations, like. Um, but our parents and their parents, they prioritized their finances in a way that they were able to give to missions and to, and to ministries. So we have this church here was not built by our generation of people. Mm-hmm. Like we've been blessed and handed down to us from other generations of people. And so I think when you look in all churches, even what we would say healthy churches, is majority of the giving is done by people of older generations, the younger generations. Granted, they are at a disadvantage where at you know one time uh, one household income in that generation really equals two in ours, which is this these are the cards were dealt. But you know, there was a time in early in our marriage where we weren't giving to the church. And so, you know, after I was converted and so we had a just had a sit down, we had a meeting and we we're like, look, we're gonna have to make adjustments in our life because we we need to be participating in the ministry uh, financially. We have the ability to do it if we take certain steps that maybe will make us uncomfortable for for a while until we get our finances adjusted to where that's even a possibility. So maybe we have to pay off some certain things, some, some debt, and then we can make that happen. So... Um, that's a good ambition. Mm-hmm. It's not selfish in any way, but to continue to give to the work of ministries, not just uh, maybe where you're at, but also to ministries in other parts of the world. 
like we have, you know, it's pretty humbling to think about the the people group we're going to be uh, helping uh, and giving missions to now as a church. Uh, a pastor there can can live off five hundred dollars a month. Yeah, that's everything he needs. That's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah. So you can support a whole pastor uh, with five hundred bucks a month. That's amazing. So that's a worthy that's a worthy thing to adjust your finances for. Mm-hmm. I would say. Right. So, um, I think a challenging thing is forgiving. Um, you know, I was talking to, I'll talk to Drake just a second about this because their pastor up there, he was preaching about forgiveness. Uh, but it's the most unnatural human thing, I think, to forgive somebody. To, to forgive somebody, um, it's the exact opposite of everything in our human nature, and yet we're called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So. If you have a problem with forgiving people, like where do you start? Well, you want to start with making that an ambition, making that a goal, and then that's going to be in your mind like more than it would. And I think as the more you meditate on how you've been forgiven in Christ, then because of this resolve now you have, um, then you can be more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's um, I mean, another word for ambition is resolution. Uh-huh. And uh, we can kind of scoff at at resolutions because people make New Year's resolutions. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna exercise more. They're gonna lose weight or you know whatever. Uh-huh. And by you know the second week of January, they haven't. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that resolutions are bad. Mm-hmm. That just means that the way people go about them is very temporary right um a a good a good place for us to to go and and see somebody that makes resolutions and he's adamant it's his ambition to live this way is jonathan edwards Uh and you mentioned that yeah uh, jonathan edwards and his resolutions are there 65 there's 70 okay there's 70 there were a lot (laughs) yeah there's 70 of them yeah um and it's easy to read those and get discouraged (laughs) (laughs) Um, remember you're not Jonathan Edwards (laughs) he's like the most brilliant person that America has ever produced Mm -hmm. (laughs) both theologically and philosophically and Mm -hmm. and probably scientifically Um, so don't uh, don't get discouraged when you realize that you don't uh, you, <laughs> you're not Jonathan Edwards, uh, but you can just uh, you, I mean you can just find these online. Just look at the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards and just look at what his ambitions were, mm-hmm. and um, see that he he did not just write these on you know December thirty first and then tuck them away in a in a drawer and forget about them. He was constantly coming back to them and reading them and evaluating his life and determining am I living this way or not. Right, and th- that's the only way that you're going to make this this kind of resolution work, this mm-hmm. kind of ambition work, and that, that's the that's the thing with Paul. What is he doing? He, without ceasing, he's praying for for the Romans. It's, it's always before him, so that his ambition to come to them is always something that he wants to do because he's constantly praying for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a ambition is not an ambition is not a one time decision that you make. An ambition right. is something that you are are constantly coming back to, and you've got to persevere in in yeah. accomplishing it. Yeah. And you have to evaluate whether you're like, how are you living up to it? Are you do you need to make some changes in order to accomplish this better, mm-hmm. or uh, are you 
are you doing what you set out to do? So looking at Jonathan Edwards' resolutions um, helps us to see someone that he's, he's uh, very adamant about keeping these, right. and he's ambitious to live this way. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, and, and this is uh, most successful people in the world, even non-Christians, they li- this is kind of how they live. So if you were to go grab a book on living a successful, prosperous life, those guys, the guys that do that, high achievers, like they're not just coasting through life. Mm. They've got a set of goals. They're looking at them. They're evaluating, making plans to meet them. And they're they're living intentionally in that way. And I think, you know, for Christians, we should ought to live with that same type of level of intentionality when it comes to our life and our, our ambitions. They shouldn't be selfish ambitions. You know, many Christians have hid what we would see as a good, right ambition, but underneath it is a selfish ambition. But we should we should have uh, ambitions that we're shooting for. Right. And one I one I think I would love to see more people do is, you know, start uh, Bible studies that are very informal and casual uh, with people in their lives that they don't go to church anywhere. They're not Christians, maybe outright they say that, or they're westernized, Christianized, like um, sec- like secular Christians in name only. Like, have a Bible study where people like that can come and you just have time to hang out. And we've we've seen over the past like eight years only just when a, only a couple have done that, uh, but many people have become Christians through that, and become members of churches. So I think that's a good goal to have. Any and anyone can do it. Anybody can do that. If you're a Christian, you're equipped to do it. You have your Bible. You're equipped to do it. You may not have all the answers, and that's okay, because you don't you really don't have to have all of the answers. So you can. Go find out, you know, but just doing it, having that those relationships open and and kind of seeing that as a way you can have a ministry. But if it's never an ambition or a goal for you, you're, it's definitely never going to happen, mm-hmm. you know. So you're not just going to accidentally fall backwards into leading a Bible study, right? In your yeah. house, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his ambition, we we also see with within this ambition to come to the Romans, this this desire to uh, for mutual encouragement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. He specifies um, he wants to come to impart some spiritual blessing to strengthen them. Um, some, I think, it's a very bad. Uh, interpretation is that because the apostles never gone there, they have no spiritual gifts, which I find to be interesting because um, if they're Christians, they have the Holy Spirit. Um, so I don't know where they would get this idea that you must get a spiritual gift from an apostle, um, but some have said that. But he specifies, so you don't have to wonder. He's not speaking about some supernatural giftings. Mm-hmm. He tells you, if you just keep reading... Uh, that is, meaning he's explaining, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, and, and there it is. Mutual encouragement, the medium of the mutual encouragement is the is the faith that they share in common, faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they don't know each other, but really they're spiritual brothers and sisters um, through the blood of Christ. And 
I think I think anyone who's been a Christian for a while understands this. They've they've experienced it in their own life that when Christians get together, whether they're Christians you've known for a long time or people you've only just met, uh, there's a supernatural organic thing that happens, um, and we can't test it by the scientific method, right? They're not going to do any psychological studies on this because it's not going. There's not going to be anything to to probe and to prove. Um, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, produces this mutual encouragement in believers because of their one faith that they share with each other. So, you know, even the most hardcore introvert mm-hmm. uh, that's ever lived, you know, if they make their way to Bible study, uh, they leave feeling better than they came even though they may feel tired. We've talked about this. Like, if you be around people enough and you're an introvert, it kind of makes you tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's maybe true, but still, um, you feel encouraged and you feel better about the world, better about your life, um, more positive. Uh, it's a supernatural thing. I, I, can t- I can testify to this because I have to... I have to... I guess force myself sometimes to do like visits uh-huh. to go visit people. Okay. Or even to, even to, um, I mean, we, we often have meetings with people that are visiting uh-huh. and sometimes it's something I have to like, well, I, I really don't want to do this <laughs> because I'm, because I'm an introvert. Uh, it, I'm, I'm that guy that it wears me out, uh, to talk to people. And so sometimes I have to to force myself to do it. I cannot tell you a a single time that I've I've done it that I've come away saying, "Man, that was a waste of time. I wish I hadn't done that." I always come away feeling encouraged, uh, and that that helps with the next time. Mm-hmm. To to when when my when my feelings are telling me one thing, I can I can I can talk to myself and remind myself. This is always this is always encouraging. It's always for the good. It's all. It's always. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always. I always come away um, glad that that I did it. Right. Um, and um, so you don't you don't listen to your introvertedness. Right. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Uh, remember remember things like this. Yeah. It's uh, it's encouraging to be around other believers. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that's that's what it is, uh, Paul. He's got these these ambitions, but we also observe that even though he's praying, it's a right ambition. It's good, noble ambition. We have to take note that thus far he's been prevented. And that's what he says in verse thirteen. But thus far I've been prevented in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. So, who is preventing? Right. That we should always ask this question. And so I think we see clearly that. The understanding of the apostles is that God's provident, providence it's, uh, permeates everything in the world. So what pagans would ascribe to chance or luck doesn't exist for the Christian. It's God's providential guiding of, of what we would call circumstances and affairs and, and things. And, and Paul's been prevented, um, prevented apparently so that he can take the gospel to all these other places. This is seems to be what God's doing in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, you can see even God directly intervening to, to guide him places. Like, he'll be prevented from going to Asia, so he'll go to this other city. 
And then, you know, in Acts 16, he gets a vision of a man in Macedonia calling him to come over here and to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. So he goes there, uh, sensing that God is guiding him there. So there's direct intervention, but, you know, <clears throat> there's also circumstances completely out of our control that, that are providential. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a shipwreck. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> I, you know, I was shipwrecked and stranded right. uh, for a while. Um, so the, all of these different things going on in Paul's life, I think he sees and understands that his his what he wants to see happen hasn't happened yet, and that's okay. I think that tempers his ambition also. Yeah. Like his ambition is to spread the gospel, and you you see in in uh, Acts sixteen how he's like that's his ambition. His uh-huh. ambition is to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached, and so he 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 keeps trying to let's go this direction, mm-hmm. and he's hindered from doing it. Let's go to this direction. He's hindered from doing this right. until God, um, in his his providence and sovereignty, tells him where he should go yeah like god he he allows god to direct his ambition he's not uh being selfishly ambitious yeah so the i mean we can obviously conclude from this the same thing's going to happen in our life probably you probably can set out and make a list of good goals ambitions to strive for to pray for and they may not happen but that doesn't mean they're not going to happen or they're or when they happen, that they're going to happen the way you think they're going to happen. <laughs> like all of those things are there, mm. um, because you know, because Paul does he does go to Rome eventually, but he go he goes in chains. <laughs> yeah. So so goal met, ambition met. I've arrived. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyone want to come visit oh, me in jail? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that should be an encouragement to us. That shouldn't be a discouragement. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the idea there. Yeah, uh, to live to live ambitiously. Right. All right. So a heart given to invocation, a heart given to holy ambitions, and now a heart under obligation. Yeah, this is you can blame this one for for doing the alliteration. Okay, I am under obligation. So, <laughs> so you took this one and you're like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am under obligation. So he okay. says in verse fourteen. He says it plainly. So. Uh, there it is. Okay. Hard under obligation. All right. Uh, what is an obligation? Well, it means that you're morally or legally bound to do something. Okay. Or you you would say you could say uh, a duty. Duty would capture that in mm-hmm. one word. Okay. The literal Greek translation, if you're just going to go like, what is a definition from this word? It means to be a debtor, to owe a debt. Okay. So he's under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Uh-huh. All right. So he's he's under obligation. You said he's he, first he's under obligation to Christ mm-hmm. for for what Christ has done for him. Mm-hmm. Now he's obligated to to obey. Right. But he's also obligated to those who haven't heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. Which right. that the Greeks are pretty much anyone in the Roman Empire that's a Gentile. Right? Yeah, and like then, a civilized person. And then the barbarians are right. like the Germanic tribes. Yeah. Right? If you're a non-Greek uh, speaker, mm-hmm. uh, so Latin is kind of like a an empire, a legal thing, 
but the the empire is it's uh i mean we can see it in our Engli- mind it's english yeah it, it's uh the greek speaking world has that culture of alexander the great it's mm-hmm. spread through and the right. romans expanded it and that's that's a civilized person that's mm-hmm. a greek right uh, barbarian is what what we know is a barbarian barbarian right <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah the tribe the unconquered tribes uh yeah uh, to the wise and to the foolish, to, to everybody. To everyone. That's what he's saying. He's, yeah. he's under obligation to everybody to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound too too fun, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we 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 talked about this, like duty. Yeah. It doesn't uh, doesn't this does not spark joy. You remember that? Uh, remember that lady? No. The the uh, minimalist. Uh-huh. They told people to get rid of all their books. Oh, really? This does not spark joy. <laughs> uh, we we talk about obligation. We talk about duty. Um, and this is where people jump in and they say, Jay, don't you realize that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion? <laughs> right. Duty and obligation sounds like religion to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to grapple with it. Um <laughs> the word is there. It's right there, staring at the face. Uh-huh. But what I found also to in Romans fifteen, he uses same same language, mm. but he's speaking about um, an obligation or debt we uh, uh, that Christians owe to the saints in Jerusalem. So he's collecting a an offering among the Gentile churches that he's planted. To take back to Jerusalem to poor to the poor saints mm-hmm. to the poor Christians. Right? This isn't just a general welfare. This is for the the church in Jerusalem. And in, and in Romans fifteen twenty four he says they were pleased to do it. That is to to give to give their finances. And indeed they owe it to them. <laughs> That's pretty wild to think about. <laughs> they owe it to them people they've never met. They've <clears throat> never had any interaction with. Mm-hmm. He says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought to also be in service to them and their material blessings. So, uh, again, words of the Apostle, there's somehow uh, a debt owed to those who need to be cared for if we have the means to care for them, another Christian. Um, we shouldn't see it as an optional thing. So right. picture you're in your church even with people you know. Mm. Right, there maybe you've got wealthier people in your church. You've got people that struggle financially. Maybe they're out of a job. They can't pay their rent. Well, I think we would be inclined to say, "Would you make a good will offering if the Lord leads you?" Or I think Paul might say, "You're under obligation to take care of this person." That's different. Yeah, that's very different. Mm-hmm. Um. And so you have to grapple with it. It's mm-hmm. there. I mean, it, it's it's his duty language, right? Um, and you brought up you brought up Piper, right? Because Piper <laughs> does not like the word duty. No, no, he does not. <laughs> did he? Did he uh, who was the guy who preached right before him at the conference? Uh, the guy who went to to jail, uh, who was part of Watergate scandal, all of that. Um, and then went to jail, became a, a Chuck Christian. Coulson? Chuck Colson, yeah, Chuck he, Coulson. he like preached right before mm-hmm. Piper. This was when Piper was in the days of desiring God was coming a thing, mm-hmm. and he was like everything he said was wrong. Because <laughs> I guess he was talking about duty, maybe I, I don't really know. 
And uh, he goes into talking about the, you know, joy and pleasure, the pleasures uh-huh. of God, pleasure in God. Right. You know, as as he does, as uh-huh. is his thesis. Right. So. Hey, you, and you gave the uh, the illustration that he gave of uh, buying his wife. Yeah. What, flowers? Yeah. Yeah. Roses. Roses uh-huh. for Noel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think that's in his book. Uh, he definitely has preached it before, but it, it, it may be in the book Desiring God. So the thesis okay. of of his ministry is that God is most glorified in us when we am, are most satisfied in him. Mm-hmm. So it's Christian hedonism. You seek for ultimate joy. Ultimate joy is found in God. So, And when your joy is in God, then everything kind of flows from that. Mm-hmm. And so he really doesn't like duty, and this illustration captures it. It's a masterful illustration, <laughs> even if I disagree with it yes. to an extent. <laughs> right. I, I don't totally disagree with it. I think it's very good in um, like marriage mm-hmm. marriage advice. So it's like his 49th wedding anniversary, and he goes and buys $200 like bundle of roses, bouquet of roses. And instead of going in his house and just walking in and being like, happy anniversary, he stands at the door and rings the doorbell, and he hides the roses behind his back. And Noel comes to the door, and she's like, opens the door. He takes the roses out, and he's like, "Happy anniversary, Noel!" And she's like, "Oh, Johnny, like, why did you, why did you go to such expense? Why did you do this?" And he says, "He says, now imagine if I said it was my duty. <laughs> it's my, it's my duty. Maybe I should try this out. My anniversary is coming up. This you week. think so? Wait, yeah. <laughs> Valentine's is coming up. There we go." Do you know when your anniversary yeah. is, Jay? Valentine's is coming up. Pop this week. quiz. <laughs> I get double. What is the what is the the ringing of the door? Do you hear this? Yeah, I hear it. I'll, let me go take care of it. Okay, I'll continue the illustration. Uh, so, duty. So I got to get back on track now. Um, why did you do this? It was it was my duty. And he's like that. That obviously wouldn't go anywhere. Anywhere like it'd be probably a bad anniversary, but he says, you know, what I say is what anyone would say, because I love you, right? I love you, you're, you know, my joy, it's a pleasure to be your husband, your work, you know, all of this, what w- you would expect. Yeah. Um, I wonder what he thinks of the reason is for wedding vows. Yeah. Like here. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> like. Uh, so what he's doing is he's he's making this false dilemma <laughs> between between duty and delight. Right. Um I am I am obligated to take care of my wife. Right. I I am obligated. I I've made a wedding vow to love her. Uh-huh. Like I I I swore before God and before everyone in the church that I would love her. Right. So I am obligated to love her. Mm-hmm. I'm, right. ob- I'm obligated to take care of my kids. Mm-hmm. I, I can't just, I can't just, you know, not feed them <laughs> or clothe <laughs> them. <laughs> I, I, I am obligated to do that. Mm-hmm. But just because I'm obligated to do something doesn't mean that I don't have joy and delight in doing that, doing the duty. Right? Uh-huh. But so also, I thought about this. There could be a time where in a marriage, and you know, this is a hard one for me to 
uh, wrap my head around because I've never been in this situation, but perhaps your marriage isn't doing well mm-hmm. and the affections aren't there. Mm-hmm. What are you to do? Just going right. to be a bad husband? Like <laughs> right. uh, divorce your wife? That's what, that's what most people do. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. right. even when your affections aren't there, mm-hmm. the duty remains. Right. And so the duty can keep you in obedience. And then from what I hear from people who've been married a really long time, usually your affections will catch back up. Right. You've gone through a bad season. <clears throat> yeah, the, the problem is people are often led by their emotions. And we've talked about this before, that emotions are terrible leaders. They're, they're better followers. Mm-hmm. And so people, they... They live like they're slaves to their emotions. And what we see in the scriptures and what we can we can testify into our in our own lives is that love and joy are deeper than just your emotions. Uh-huh. It, you can have love for someone even when you don't have some kind of warm feeling of, you know, butterflies. Right. You can have joy. Paul is a, a is a great example of it. Jesus is the superior example of him having joy. Uh-huh. He went to the cross <laughs> because of the joy that was set before him. Right. Yeah. Um. He didn't. He didn't feel. I, I think we equate joy with happiness. I don't think he was feeling in the moment what we would call happiness. Mm-hmm. But joy is deeper than that. Yeah. Love is deeper than that. And so, like you said, duty will drive us where emotions won't. Uh-huh. Emotions will only push us so far because once the emotions are gone, the drive is gone. Right. But duty will take us to places where our emotions fail. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, when people do things that are death-defying uh, on behalf of other people even, whether you think maybe they're policemen or firemen running into a burning building, it's not because they, I mean, they may not even know the person, have any affections for the person. Mm-hmm. They're not running in there out of love. Right. They're running in there to fulfill their duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so duty can propel you. And, and think, I have to think in Paul's life, there were times where he wanted to stop. He's a human. Like right. We can't look at Paul and say he's like the second coming of, of Jesus, right. like a different person. He's, a, he's just a person mm-hmm. empowered by the Spirit but you can't tell me after he was like stoned to death, he didn't think of, or they tried to stone him to death. He survived that he didn't think about quitting. <laughs> and he, and so he had to go back and count the cost again. Yeah. And then come to this realization as he will appeal to the Corinthians to flee sexual immorality. He was bought with a price. Mm. The most, I don't, I almost want to use the word ridiculous. There's not even a word to capture the reality in one word of Jesus Christ dying on behalf of a mere mortal, mm. a sinner who doesn't deserve it. But Paul understands that. And I have to think that in the times, in his darkest times, that he doesn't really, we aren't told about them, but you know they were there, um, especially maybe when he was starving to death, you know. Um, you, you go you go into the synagogue, his heart is for his people, um, they should have received their Messiah, and they reject him, and they they they'll stone him, or they'll um, uh, 
you know, raise up the Gentiles against them or chase them out of town. And then he goes to another town and they chase him out of that town too. I mean, discouragement is, is just right there. I'm sure. Yeah. So, but he's, he's duty, he's duty bound. Mm -hmm. Um, he must fulfill his obligations to both to, to God. He's bought with a price, but also to his fellow man. It's part of, if you, you can also think of this obligation that he's under to take the gospel, you can work to it in a logical sense, right? To the command to love your neighbor as yourself, or even the the commands, uh, what Christ would say in the gospels, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So there are people, uh, our neighbors all over the world, right? That's kind of the idea is that everyone is your neighbor, uh, for the Christian at least, we're not talking about who lives next door to you, it's your fellow man. Uh, to love them, how do you love them? We're commanded to do that. There are people who have never heard the gospel. Right? There are those people in the world. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're obligated to take the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. And we have the only message of salvation. It's exclusive. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. And so he, and you can see, get into his mind... Greeks are barbarians. I would love to have a story of of Paul going to the barbarians. <laughs> did, did he ever yeah. get to? Did he ever make that trek? You know, I, we aren't told. Um, the gospel obviously did go to them eventually, mm-hmm. but he kind of he sees that as his uh, his duty, and um, I think it is able to propel him uh, at least until his his emotions can catch back up. Right. So that's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that was good. It's a good sermon. Yeah. So One more. One more and then a break and you'll be in Malachi. Okay. So you're going to do 16 and 17. This is, yeah. uh, this is, I mean, we're kind of gone in a circle because you started, kind of, yeah. you started with an overview and you, this yeah. is the thesis of the book, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll be back in it. Mm-hmm. Haven't you already preached this sermon? I preached. <laughs> I preached. Um, what was it? Uh, there were four reasons to not be ashamed of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I think. And so, yeah. um, this one will kind of look at um, because it's kind of the theme of the letter. Kind of mm-hmm. the same things that are said in these few sentences are expanded upon. Uh, one of which I think people don't often think about is. We say God is just God. How can a just God pardon a sinner? Mm. Yep. And so there's a question right. that's left there, uh, and it's really answered. It's answered here in the text, and also mm-hmm. uh, it's elaborated on right. uh, through the rest of Romans. Yeah. But this is uh, these two verses change the world. Yeah. So that'd be good. All right. Well, one more, and then we'll be in Malachi. And, Indeed. Uh, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Music. Well, cue the music. Cue the music. All right. Well, thanks for uh, for joining us today. Hopefully, this has been beneficial and encouraging for you as we've looked at these three um, see, tr- three truths that we've seen from uh, from Paul's heart. May it also be a reality in our own hearts. Um, if it has been helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, uh, download the. Christ Fellowship Church of Lawton app, and you can find past podcasts and sermons on there. And uh, 
I guess we'll see you on Friday for another Free For All Friday. We'll look at another uh, abused and misused verse. Until then, have a good week. God bless.